0: Open your Bibles. We are going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 6. And most of you know that we are in a series that I'm calling We Are Disciples. And over the last number of weeks, we've been making our way through what I'm calling four-chair discipleship. Not new with me. Another group actually created that. But we're using that as a framework in order for us to understand our discipleship journey. And I've got that on the board for you, the four different chairs. We've talked about that. I won't elaborate on that today. But those are based on four calls of Jesus to His disciples, and we make our way through those different chairs as we go deeper with the Lord. And so I want to talk today about something that transcends all the chairs. We started last week with something that fits into every one of the chairs, and it's prayer. This week we want to cover another topic that covers all the chairs, regardless of where you are with the Lord. This will be important to you in your journey, and it's something that you really have to address. The topic this morning is uh, treasure or money. And let me begin with the story of 53-year-old Jeff Murphy, who in 2017 was hiking in, uh, in Yellowstone National Park. He'd gone there on an adventure, and he was up on top of one of the peaks, and he disappeared. People went looking after him and found out that he had slipped down a major chute on one of those peaks, and he had fallen 500 feet to his death that's probably not what's interesting because, well, people slip and fall when they're in hiking think times all the time. What was interesting about Jeff Murphy was that he was looking for something specific. He was looking for a treasure that was reportedly buried somewhere in the Rocky Mountains by an eccentric millionaire named Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn said that somewhere buried in the Rocky Mountains was a 10 by 10 inch box that weighed about 40 pounds and was filled with gold and precious gems. And so this man, again Jeff Murphy, was out looking for that. And uh, this is what was told about the box. It's not in a mine, it's not in a graveyard, it's not near a structure. It's somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border. And so, you know, again, good luck on finding that, right? But four of, he's the fourth of five people that died in their quest to find that treasure that was buried somewhere out there. The chest was actually found in the year 2020, just last year, and a man from the East Coast, who happened to just be traipsing around Wyoming, found it. All of us are interested in treasure. Every one of us is interested in treasure. And treasure can come in different sizes and shapes. It can be a family heirloom. It can be a valuable painting. It can be a family business. It can be a retirement account. All of us have treasures. Some have bigger treasures than others. Some have treasures that are more valuable than others. But all of us are interested in treasures. And some of us will go to great lengths to get it. In our passage today, Jesus wants to talk to us very forcefully about being his disciples and our relationship to treasure. Specifically, our relationship to money. I am picking up this morning, Matthew chapter 6. Your Bibles are open there, or your app is open. And I'm going to pick up, starting in verse 19. Listen to what Jesus says about treasure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There is something that can be very distracting to our discipleship, regardless of where you are. If you're just beginning and following Jesus, or you're way down the path, money can be this thing that can distract us from following God. Jesus spoke very forcefully about money. In fact, he talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. And money is a big deal. Money says that it's a dangerous thing for all of us. And he says, Something like this. He says it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. That's how dangerous money can be for all of us. Jesus talks about our wealth, and he uses in this passage today three metaphors to help, help us understand what he wants. And he uses these three metaphors of treasure, eyes, and masters. I've got the little graph on the board for you so you can kind of see it pictorial It helps me, I know, to say, oh, that's the way he's laid out the passage. That's the way he's talking to his disciples. So he's going to talk about two kinds of treasures, earthly and heavenly, two kinds of eyes, bad eyes and healthy eyes, and two kinds of masters, money and God. And he makes his way through his explanation to us about the way we are to interact with money and wealth by using those three metaphors. And so that's what I want to do today, is use those three metaphors and the pairs that are in them in order for us to talk about, as disciples, our relationship to money and wealth. Let's go ahead and dive in. The first uh, section deals with treasure. And Jesus is going to warn us about one kind of treasure and exhort us and encourage us towards the other. He's going to warn us about earthly treasure, and he's going to exhort us to go gain heavenly treasure. He says... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so all of us, again, according to Jesus' words, are doing layups. You know, not the basketball kind. The, the layup is the easiest shot in basketball. You just kind of, you know, make your way up towards the shot and you, and you lay it up. Well, Jesus says that we're all doing these layups of different kinds and we're laying up certain treasures either on earth or in heaven and so he's saying this is you know, the, the, the conducive to all of our lives. We're all in the process of doing this right now. Jesus says there is a striking problem with the earthly kind of treasure. Both treasures uh, we are in the process of, of working with, but he says there's a striking problem with the earthly kinds of treasure. And the striking problem is that it can be attacked and diminished in so many ways. Uh, earthly treasure, he says, is not secure because it can't be protected and so it's not safe. And he gives three things that would attack very earthly wealth and he says these are the kinds of agents that are always working against your earthly wealth and so he gives the metaphor of three things, of a moth, of rust, and of a thief. Let me talk briefly about those, especially as they relate to the ancient world and to our world. First of all is the moth. And if you were in the ancient world, one of the most important things that you would have would be your clothing. In fact, your clothing would be things that would really depict your wealth, they would demonstrate your wealth, and that would be a way that you would have wealth in your closet. Well, there was a little moth that would make its way in and it would eat holes in that wealth that you had in the clothes that you paid good money for. And so again, in the ancient world, that would be a big deal. Probably clothes are not the way we retain our wealth, but back then it was. And so again, you really cared about that and the moth would be something that was constantly diminishing that. Rust. The word there that he uses is brosis in the Greek. And what it literally means is eating. And so you can imagine some piece of metal that has rust on it. It's just being eaten up. It's being corroded with each passing year. Well, that's not the only thing that can suffer from this eating disorder. The things in the house could, if you had some food that you were storing away. Rats or mice could get into that and eat it up or consume it. Maybe in our day and age, the thing that would most be valuable to us is to say things are just constantly wearing out. They're being eaten, as it were, by the ravages of time. Computers are subject to that. Homes are subject to that. Cars are subject to that. Everything that we earthly own is subject to this idea of being eaten or being decayed. And so we can understand, again, what that means. There's one more and that is the thief and the thief in the ancient world was somebody obviously that could make their way into your home and steal what you had. Uh, In today's day and age, it probably maybe, well, maybe it's still that. That's why we put locks on our doors. But I know in my case, it's much more of the worry of, of digital theft. And so again, we have digital thieves that are always on the prowl to try to take advantage of us. And that's why again, on my computer right now, I have a file on my computer that says data breach history. I just I started that a couple years ago because I've been hacked so many times. My identity was being uh, you know, taken away by thieves and I needed to kind of remediate that. I needed to keep a list of all of the ways that that was happening. And so again, that is something that is just uh, inherent to our world today. Treasure is not secure. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. No matter where you put it, treasure is not secure. I have a story of a woman in 2009 She was an elderly woman in Israel, and she had a million dollars. And guess where she decided to put it? Under her mattress. Under her mattress was the safest place for her to put a million dollars in U.S. dollars and Israeli shekels. And the issue was that, you know, again, she thought, hey, uh, this is the safest place for it. It was right after the 2008 crash. She wanted to have money as quick, uh, quickly available to herself and you know, wouldn't uh, der- erode anymore. And so she puts it in her mattress. The problem was she did not tell her daughter. Her daughter said, you know, mom needs a new mattress. And so I am not going to tell mom. I'm just going to go ahead and have this delivered. And uh, she, she does. She had the old one taken away. She had it delivered. And uh, how pleased she was to... Uh, have her mother walk into the room and see the new mattress that she had bought for her, her mother just let out a shriek. That's all that could happen. And she realized, again, you know, thought she was doing a good deed for mom, but realized she'd just probably taken her inheritance and everything that mom was going to live on and shipped that off with the men who'd taken it to the dump. In videos, the next day, they were searching through the dump, heavy loaders and stuff, trying to pull up the dump to find the mattress and find the million dollars. And of course, it was gone and it was never recovered. The thing that we all need to, again, just get into our heads is that, again, every kind of earthly wealth that we have is fleeting. And it is not secure. It's not safe in this world. So, again... Just to make a little point clear here, Jesus is not prohibiting, however, for us to own things. He's not saying that possessions in and of themselves are evil for us. That's not what he's saying, so don't hear that. The scriptures are not saying it's, it's against Christian principles to own property or to own things. Uh, to save for a rainy day is not a bad thing. Uh, we are commended in the scriptures to be like the ant who's preparing and planning. So again, that's not, that's not bad for us. We are not to, to despise good things given to us by God. You know, A wedding, a meal, a new car, all of those things can be gifts from the hands of God, and so those are not bad for us to have. So what is he forbidding here? What is he warning us against? He's warning us against selfish accumulation of goods And he's warning us against such extravagant living, such luxurious living, that we are forgetting the people in the world that are the most depressed, the most oppressed, the most poor, and that we are turning a blind eye to those individuals. He's warning us, saying, hey, life doesn't consist of just all the things that you own. And as Americans, it's very easy to fall into that trap. When we die, we are going to take out of this world exactly what we took into the world, which is nothing and so he's reminding us of that stark, uh, stark fact and that contrast. Contrast that, however, with the heavenly things that we, the treasure that we would lay up in heaven. And, you know, he's saying, this is the part that's secure. This is the part that cannot be stolen. This is the part that thieves won't get, moths won't get, rust won't get. And so every time you're laying up something in heaven, you are doing something that is going to last forever. And so again, we ask the question perhaps today, well, what is treasure in heaven? I I want you to notice Jesus doesn't exactly say. He doesn't tell us necessarily what is a treasure in heaven, but I think we might imagine what it is. And a treasure in heaven is anything that we might do that is for eternity, anything that we might do that is for God's glory, anything that we might do that's motivated by the gospel, that we would lay up a treasure in heaven. There's a whole host of things that it could be could be our money, right? It could be things like our money, but it could be the way that we spend our time, or the use of our spiritual gifts, or praying for somebody, or showing compassion to somebody, or kindness to somebody, or even forgiving somebody. All of those are ways that we would be laying up treasures in heaven. You know, wouldn't it be cool? I just thought of this this week. It was like you know, I can get online and I can look at my bank account or a retirement account and I can see how much is there. Wouldn't it be cool if God had a way for us to get online and look at what the treasures were that had been laid up in heaven for us by God that had been motivated by our gospel actions? I would love to see that website and it would perhaps be motivating in some ways for us. But you know what? That's not what God says. God says, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to... uh, count on the fact that I'm taking good record of all of your actions. I'm not letting even the smallest act of service go unnoticed or go unrewarded. And so you're going to have to trust me that in the end, it's really going to be worth it. There's two kinds of treasure. There's one kind of treasure that he warns us against, and the other kind is one that we should be constantly laying up. Treasures in heaven is what we should be seeking. All right, the next of the two kinds of treasure of items or metaphors that Jesus uses around money and wealth is uh, two eyes. And there's a dark eye and a light eye. He's really talking about a blind person and a sighted person. And he tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the window into which light comes into our bodies. And when the eye is very clear, then the body can do all kinds of things. When light is coming into the body, we have the ability to do running and jumping, driving a car, baking a cake... Uh, working on a computer, playing soccer, uh, painting a beautiful mural. All of those things are possible when we have the ability to see because the, al- the light of the eye is what illuminates the performance of the body. You know, it's a sad thing when somebody starts to lose their sight. My mom is in the process of that right now. Each uh, week that I'm with her, it seems as though her sight is going a little bit more. And it's a sad thing because the number of things that she used to be able to do, she can't do now, all because light is not coming into her to give her perspective and ability to do the things that she formerly did. The difference between a light, body filled with light and a body filled with darkness is a matter of this eye, and if the eye is not clear, then it can't d- perform and direct the body what to do. It's, if it's obscured in some way, with a cataract or mud or some kind of injury. Or, Jesus is even saying, if the eye is just attracted to the wrong things, then it's bringing darkness into the body. He's really saying here that the eye is equivalent to the heart. We're to set our hearts on God, or the hearts on the things above. We're to fix our eyes, and he's saying these are about our attitudes and about our devotion to God. And he's saying it turns from selfish ambition to godly ambition at the point at which an eye is not dark, but it's filled with light. Well, we lose our sense of serving God when our eye is dark, and that's the point at which attitudes of greed and being miserly and uh, losing compassion, all of that happens when our eye gets bad. And so Jesus says, hey, I want you to have a clear eye. I want you to have a good eye, not a dark eye. It is important for us to understand that we have to have eyes that see things very clearly in order to be able to serve God. And we need to be aware of the fact that our eyes could be seeing things that are not of value to God and that could be clouding our entire soul. Clear eyes are a treasure from God and we are to pursue clear eyes and we are to beware of dark eyes. All right, there's one more that he has on our uh, our list for us. Jesus goes from the treasure of two eyes now to the treasure of two masters. The clear promise or premise is that it's impossible to serve two masters. The idea is that we are all servants of somebody. We are all servants and we have a master over us who is uh, uh, the owner of us, as it were, And I know some of you are very uncomfortable with that language because it makes you into a servant or a slave. And Jesus is not bashful about that language at all because he basically says all of us are enslaved to someone or something. All of us are following the orders from somebody else. And in this case, he says that you are either following the orders of money, that's what is your God in essence, or God is your God and your allegiance or your loyalty or devotion is completely given over to him. Here's what you need to understand. And again, what Jesus is saying is, <laughs> money is a relentless God. It will constantly be pursuing you at any point of your discipleship journey, and it's constantly wanting to force its allegiance upon you and steal allegiance away from God. A few weeks ago, at an elder meeting, uh, one of our elders, Rick Sorensen, told a story to all the elders about uh, his life and about his life with Jen, his wife, and their interaction with uh, money. I was so interested in what he said that I wanted Rick to tell his story. And so we got together this week, and he taped uh, a little bit of the story that he told the elders, and I want you to hear that today, especially as it relates to the master of money or the master of God. Listen to this.
1: Back when I was in my young to mid-20s, uh, just before Jennifer and I were getting married, and then a little bit of into our uh, just married life, I thought I had everything figured out financially. I was a whiz. I was a whiz for this reason. I knew how to use credit cards and when I maxed out one credit card, I just got another credit card and I maxed that one out too and the cycle repeated itself. It's not the best way to do things but when we entered our married life together, this is what I brought to our marriage. I was deeply in debt, not only with the credit cards, but I had also taken a a small, a large personal loan from my mother to help pay for a car, which I also couldn't afford, by the way. So we walked into our marriage in a huge amount of debt. We had gone to see a uh, financial planner. It was a conference, actually. And there we were challenged to consider giving back to the church one-tenth of anything that we made. Well, I was already in tremendous debt. And I am also a scientist. so I think logically and progressively through almost everything. And so when Jennifer nudged me and said, "Well, let's do this," I thought, you know, oh my goodness. Jen, I can show you an Excel spreadsheet and I can show you our income. There's only two lines, her income and mine and I could show all the expenses that we had, especially now that we had one, our first uh, child, all these expenses, and when I lined those up, they didn't add up, especially with that debt that I had. And Jen kind of looked at that and she nodded and said, okay, okay, let's try it anyway. And I thought, oh my goodness, really? It's like, can't you see the logic behind this? It does not make sense to give away income that we already can't afford to give away. It's like, well, okay, she was persistent, and I thought, my goodness, I think I'm just gonna have to show you the hard way. Well, the story continued, and actually I was the one who learned from this. God continued to bless us through the time of our actual giving of one-tenth of our income back to the local church. We started receiving blessing upon blessing in the fact that we were able to move from the small apartment that we had down in Seattle. We were able to come back up to the Edmonds area that we were currently going to church in. We had friends uh, up here in the Edmonds area. That was a blessing. I had to get rid of all of my belongings when we came together in a marriage to sell those off to try to pay off the debt. I had to get rid of my car. And we were able to acquire another vehicle. And now I'm, I'm not saying that my obedience, our obedience to uh, our new financial way of life, uh, was directly a blessing from God, saying, "Here, I'm going to give you back because of because of this." It's like, no, I think what happened was. It's blessings received when a person chooses to act in obedience to what God is calling you to do. It created in me, I think, behavior change. And through that behavior change of rather than trusting my own spreadsheets and my own logic, my own idea of what happens next by trusting God, what He can do, I took myself out of the equation and God was able to work through our situation. Took many, 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 many years of hard work, but maintaining obedience in Christ, that finally I was able to become a little bit more successful when it came to my personal finances.
0: Woohoo! Yeah. <clears throat> Rick was uh, very quick to say at the elder meeting, Jen was right. And uh, it's true, we are obviously given gifts in our our spouses to help us with those kinds of things. Um, Rick and Jen uh, obviously aren't perfect in all of that, but they're growing in all of that. And one of the things that Rick said was they never took another, besides a house loan, they never took any other loans out. And so they were able to uh, obviously trust the Lord in some tremendous ways, and he was able to bless them in some very big ways. What I want you to hear out of that is that uh, God's wisdom is oftentimes very different from worldly wisdom. And what might not seem to work on paper, somehow God makes to work. And I've experienced that in my own life. Denise and I have experienced that in our lives. And our obedience to God is, is first and it's foremost, and God always will reward that. All right, Jesus gives us those three metaphors. He gives us those metaphors of that, that treasure, that eye, and those masters. And he tells us that we are to be channels of blessing. We are to be giving back to God and to others. And perhaps it's uh, the closest to us, again, of of, of what it means in order for us to have this, this, as it were, thermometer on telling us how we're doing is every time we're spending some money, we're saying, oh, wow, that's a thermometer for me to be basically understanding kind of where I'm at in my discipleship with the Lord. And so, again, that's important to us. Maybe it's uh, important for us also to just take a step back and say, again, what are the real purposes biblically of money? Let me just articulate three of those. Uh, The the care for your family and to make sure that there is the prevention of being a burden on others. That's one tremendous value of money in the Bible. Uh, Helping those in need, especially those who are part of the household of faith. A tremendous value of money. The support of God's kingdom work at home and around the world. We are to be giving to see God's kingdom expand. That's one of the important uses of money. Contrast that with our world that says, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Spend it all on yourself, i.e., And that it would be a false use of money. And so God is saying, I really want everybody to make sure that they're understanding the value. I've given money for its purpose, but it has its purposes and it has its boundaries. Our money is one of the clear indicators, again, of our devotion to God. And your money is one of, again, the indicators of how you're doing with God. Let me close with this story. It's one that I uh, have given before and I just love it so much. It's a story given by Ed Young. Uh, pastor in Texas, and he said he took his family to a high school football game. He said it was the third quarter, and my daughter had waited all that time, and she said, "Dad, uh, could I get some money to go to the concession stand and get some candy?" And he says, "You know, I'm not a real candy guy, but I said, here, here you go. Here's five dollars. Go get some candy." She said she brought the candy back to her seat. She was sitting in her seat and eating her Skittles. And I said to my daughter, "Give me a few Skittles," and she said. No, Dad, these are mine. And he said, Just a couple Skittles? And she said, No, Dad, they are mine. I'm not going to give you any. He said, At that moment, I realized that my daughter didn't understand three basic things. First of all, she did not understand that I had given her that money for the Skittles. Technically, they were really mine. He said, My daughter did not understand at that moment that I was stronger than she was. I could have forced those Skittles out of her hand and I could have eaten every one of them in front of her if I wanted to. And third, my daughter did not understand that I could have gone to the concession stand and whipping out my credit card could have bought 300 boxes of Skittles and put them on her lap and it would have been more Skittles that she could have eaten in a whole year. Here's where Pastor Young goes with this. We all are given Skittles. Some of you have a big, big, big pile of Skittles. Some of you have a little pile of Skittles. Some a medium-sized pile of Skittles. And at times, God is going to come to you and say, I'd like some of those Skittles. What will be your response to that? Will you say, no, God, these are my Skittles? I made these Skittles. I earned these Skittles. If you do that, you probably will be suffering some of the, the, the inconsistencies that the daughter had that day. You will not understand that God was the one that gave you all of those Skittles. You will not be understanding at that moment that God could forcefully take all those Skittles. And third, you don't understand at that moment that God is the God who has more Skittles that he could rain on you than you could ever experience, eat, or imagine. All of us are given Skittles from God, and all of us have this great responsibility to handle those Skittles well. Here's what I want you to hear. You cannot progress in your life as a disciple of Jesus unless you address that issue. You may be very first on. In chair number one, you're just barely learning about Jesus. And he's starting to warm up to say, I'm going to talk to you about the things that are most important to you, money perhaps being one of them. You might be in chair two and you're just starting your journey. You're learning about God. And you may make your very first gift ever in which it's really sacrificial. You may be in chair three. You walk with God for a while. You're beginning to actually even evangelize in the world and help others to know about Jesus. You're not done giving, and certainly even in chair four, when you're discipling others, God is continuing to come and say more and more, I wish to be your first love more than money. And we are very easily swamped at any part of our journey by sacrificing God, mammon, excuse me, mammon or money, in the place of God. Money is instrumental and must be addressed by all of us for every step in our Christian journey. Lord, thank you for your straight talk when it comes to money. Not always easy for us to hear because we live in such an affluent society. Lord, I'm praying for my friends today that if it's been a while since they've actually taken a look at what they are giving, today perhaps is a day to do that. That goes well beyond, obviously, our money. It goes and, 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 and sheds its light into the way that we spend time and the way that we're interacting with people. But, boy, money sure is one of those important ones. So, Lord, you continue to work in your way. I want to thank you and pause right now to thank you for all of the blessings you've given to this church over so many years. I thank you for that. And it's, it's, a, it's an example, again, of your people that are responding to you. So thank you for that. Lord, we don't want to make money more important than you. And so you are our God, and we owe our allegiance to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.